Thank you, Father, for making yourself known to us, for showing us the way of salvation through faith in your Son. And we ask you now to teach us through your word so that we may be ready to serve you for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Corinne's going to come read the Bible for us now. Thanks, Corinne. John 5, John five sixteen to 29, the authority of the Son. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defence, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work on this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raised the dead, and gives him life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing, but I judge only what I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Uh, Some of you, I'm sure, will have had that moment. Maybe this resonates with you, if you've ever had that moment. Uh, when you say some phrase or do some mannerism and you think to yourself, hang on, that was just like my parents. I am becoming my dad. Now, my parents are actually here with us today. Uh, hi, Mum and Dad. Nice to have you with us. So you just grab Dad afterwards and see if you can sort of, you know, while you're talking to him, uh, spot me and him. Well, there's something really powerful about family likeness, isn't there? Uh, right from when we're born and people, you know, you pull out the baby and they say, he looks so much like his dad. Uh, that's, sort of, uh, that's the sort of idea uh, that comes to the forefront at this passage in John's Gospel. Um, although, there, as we're going to see as we read through it, there are actually some really important differences uh, in to, as to how we might think about it. We, you get this stunning insight in this passage It's a really stunning insight into the very heart of God, the life of God. What Christians have called the doctrine of the Trinity, 
God exists eternally as three persons in one being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here you get Jesus filling us in on this relationship, his relationship to his heavenly Father, between the Father and the Son. Uh, But uh, while we can see kind of uh, likenesses in our own families, and uh, we'll all have some kind of experience of that, we're going to see that this particular family likeness uh, is on a completely different level. Uh, It's not as if Jesus kind of shares some mannerisms with his father. Uh, They share this totally unique, eternal, perfect unity that our human families are kind of a reflection of. Um, So we're going to peer into really deep things this morning as we hear from God's word. I'd like to pray for us though before I keep going. Is that all right? I'll pray. Our Father, we are conscious that we do look into things that we cannot fully comprehend, but we receive by faith. We thank you for revealing yourself to us in the Lord Jesus, your, the Son that you love. Lord, give us, we pray for your help now. We pray for our minds that we might be able to understand your word. We pray that you might fire our hearts in response to it and that we might live more in line with your great purposes in the world and more for the honour of your praise and glory. And we pray that in the name of your only Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, well, uh, if you're just joining us today, uh, because you're here on holidays or something like that, we've just restarted a series in John's Gospel as a church. We started it a a couple of years ago, and now we're coming back to it this uh, last week and uh, this week and on. Uh, uh, the passage we're looking at today, it all comes kind of, it, it all flows out of the passage we looked at last week. Uh, and if you've got your Bible open, uh, you'll be able to see at the start of um, chapter 5 that uh, what we looked at last week was this story of Jesus healing the lame man uh, at the pool. Uh, it's one of the signs that we get in John's Gospel, these signs that point to Jesus' glory, point to who he is and what he's come to do. Uh, he's just performed this incredible miracle and you can catch up on that uh, if you'd like to uh, online but he's performed this incredible miracle and we got a few hints last week as we were reading through of uh, some kind of storm clouds on the horizon if you like. Um, We got a few hints of some things brewing uh, because we're told that Jesus does this miracle on the Sabbath. Um, For the people of God in the Old Testament before Jesus came The Sabbath was a weekly pattern. Every Saturday, the seventh day of the week, they'd rest from their normal work. And this rhythm of life was was built into their life as a gift from God. It was like a weekly reminder that God was in control, so they didn't have to be. Uh, The one who created everything was still looking after his people, sustaining them. Uh, And he had promised a day when everything would finally, once and for all, be at rest. So because of that, because of that, his people could rest too. uh, But what was intended as a gift, a good gift for God's people, as tragically so often happens, what was intended as a good gift uh, became an uh, oppressive kind of burden, something used by the religious leaders to oppress people rather than lead them to God's grace. And that's all in the background here in verse 16. Um, It'll be up on the screen. You can see your Bibles there if you've got them open too. Verse 16, so because 
Because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Uh, but you know, see what happens next? Jesus kind of uh, tightens the screws. He ratchets things up uh, in verse 17. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I am working. I too am working. We'll think about that in a moment, but do you notice the, um, what that does to the people he's talking to? How it just inflames the situation. The Jewish leaders go from trying to persecute Jesus to trying to kill him. They knew Jesus was making a massive claim here in verse 18. For this reason they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Uh, in, the, uh, in the creation account in Genesis in your Bibles, the seventh day was when God rested from his work of creating. But no one thought that he'd stopped working altogether. Uh, otherwise, the whole creation would collapse. Um, he'd finished his work of creating, but God sustains his creation every second. Uh, not only that, he is working out his great plan of salvation every second. Uh, and so when Jesus says, my father is always at his work and I too am working, the religious leaders, they join the dots. Right? They join the dots. In, in the thought world of the Bible, there's really only two types of realities. There's a bit of a diagram coming up. Uh, this is in the, in the thought of the Bible. There's two types of realities. There's God and there's everything else. There you go, that's pretty simple. There's God and there's everything else. And God created and sustains everything else. And there's an unbreakable, unbridgeable line between the two. Uh, no creature could ever breach it. You cannot move into the God side of the equation. Uh, but as we've read John up to this point, uh, after, as we've read it, it's not, and it's not as if Jesus is saying he's moved from sort of the bottom up to the top. That's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, as we read John, there's something much bigger going on. His claim is much bigger. We saw it in chapter 1. It is the claim of the incarnation, what Christians call the incarnation, that God himself has breached the gap. Uh, the word who was with God and was God became flesh. God entered his creation, made himself weak and vulnerable, made himself killable in order to save his people from sin and death. Yeah, you can see everything else that kind of bounces off this is the message of John. This is what's in the background of John chapter 5. God himself has breached the gap. So these Jewish leaders, they get what Jesus is saying, right? They get the enormity of Jesus' claim. And they're totally enraged by it. Uh, he's saying that he has the same relationship to the Sabbath, this good gift from God. He has the same relationship to it as God does. Uh, and Jesus, uh, so they, he says that, that they try and kill him, and he, he responds to them. Did you notice what he does? He doesn't kind of backpedal and correct their mistake and say, no, you've got it wrong, I'm not really saying that I'm equal with God. 
He just keeps plunging deeper into his claim. Verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Jesus has this relationship of obedience and submission to his Father. He doesn't seek his own comfort, his own power. He only did the will of his Father in heaven. But that doesn't mean he's any less God. Jesus goes on with this incredible statement. Uh, He can only do what he sees his Father doing in verse 19, halfway through, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Just think about that for a moment. Jesus says everything that God, the creator of all things, everything that God the Father does, I do. There's no no family secrets between them. Uh, The Father loves the Son and shows him everything. There's no gap in knowledge or power between the Father and the Son. Uh, And Jesus isn't done yet. He goes on in verse 20. Yes, he, the Father, will show him the Son even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son who gives life, uh, the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. So what's going on there? God doesn't just create and sustain life. There's this promise of new life. Uh, Death in the story of the Bible is the the result of our sin, our turning away from God, our rejection of him. Uh, In a way, the whole Bible's story is about that great problem. And underlying the whole thing is this reality that God is more powerful than death. God is more powerful than my... Um, my family's been listening to a song that I found called Death Be Not Proud. You might know that line if you're a bit of a poetry fan. It's from a famous John Donne poem. Look it up later. It's great. Uh, but someone's turned it into a song. And one of the lines in the song says, Even death will die. And of course, this has got our, the philosophers in our family kind of thinking, How on earth is it possible for death to die? You know, and I'm sort of driving the car and I'm trying to mumble out some confused answer. Uh, But I reckon Jesus helps us at this point, actually. Uh, Death dies when it meets him. Jesus is the one through whom all things were made, the one who gives life, the one who has power to give new life. God is more powerful than death, and so Jesus is more powerful than death. So when death meets Jesus, even death will die. Uh, And not just that... It's not just that. You see, as we go on, Jesus points us forward to uh, this promise of a future reality. Verse 22, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. So we're saying Jesus not only has power to raise the dead, to give new life. He has the authority to judge. And the reason is so that everyone will honour him. 
So this is massive, right? That everyone will treat Jesus with the same honour that they, they ought to treat God, God the Father. Jesus doesn't just do the work of God, he deserves the worship of God. When you really drill down to it, this really is the key difference between genuine biblical Christianity and other kind of systems of belief that sometimes claim to be Christian. Uh, you might know some of them, and this is uh, not a personal criticism, but just a, a, a discussion of their explicit beliefs. Um, Christadelphianism, uh, the Jehovah's Witness, and Mormonism, and many others, lots of others. This really is at the heart of the key difference. The full, eternal, absolute divinity of Jesus is always the sticking point. If we're going to take Jesus at his own word, he isn't just a prophet, he's not just an angel, he's not someone who became divine at some point, he's not a lesser God, there is only one God, and Jesus is God, the eternal Son, one in majesty and power and glory with the Father and the Spirit, forever to be praised. He is the judge of all the earth, and all people will honour him, Every knee, as we saw when we read through Philippians, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, that would be, it's a sobering kind of reality, isn't it? It would be a frightening reality if it wasn't for what comes next. If it wasn't for what comes next, verse 24 this really key verse in this whole thing. Very truly I tell you, Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Friends, this is about as close as you can get to the heart of the good news of Jesus, the gospel. Um, when faced with the grim reality of sin that we looked at last week, when faced with the grim realities of death and judgment, Jesus says this incredibly liberating thing. He doesn't say whoever tries their hardest. He doesn't say whoever does their best might at the end of the day possibly be accepted by God if God's on a good day and feeling like it. It's so simple, isn't it? And it's so absolute. Whoever hears Jesus' word, the word about him, who he is and what he has come to do, whoever hears that just hears it and believes the one who sent him, trust themselves, not to their own works, but trust themselves to the Father who sent the Son and who speaks through the Son. Whoever hears and believes has already now crossed over from death to life. He's talking about a spiritual reality that's available to all people here and now, but that's not all. He just kind of keeps going, right? And you get this a lot with Jesus. It's not just a spiritual reality here and now. There's this future reality too. In verse 25, 
Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming, literally an hour is coming, and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. There's a lot in there. It's a pretty dense kind of thing that Jesus says, right? There's a lot packed into this paragraph. But basically, I think what Jesus is talking about is this. There'll be a bit of a diagram um, coming up on the screen. Uh, We've seen it before, parts of this diagram, but Jesus is talking about this coming time that's fixed when he will make everything new and all will face his judgment. A time is coming. But the incredible claim of Jesus is that that future time, that future hour, has broken into the present. Uh, While this final judgment is still in the future for us, Uh, In an incredible way, it's already here in Jesus. John's Gospel is relentlessly moving towards this moment when this judgment that all people will one day face falls unthinkably on Jesus, on this Son, equal with the Father, the one who is entrusted with all judgment, lets himself be judged in the place of his people. And the outcome of all of this is so that you and I here and now can hear this word about Jesus. We can hear it and believe in the one who sent him and ourselves have eternal life here uh, here and now and ultimately forever in the new creation that God is bringing in. If you hear and believe, you will not be judged. You will not face the condemnation that in yourself you deserve because you too have done evil. That is all swept away, all forgiven, cleansed, and you have already crossed over, already, from death to life. uh, Jesus brings things full circle in verse 30. He and his father act as one in all of this. There's no tension between them, and that's what we've seen already. There is this is the one God working to bring about the salvation of his people, the restoration of his world. There's so much in his passage, isn't there, friends? Uh, I just wanted to draw out three quick reflections, really, um, on how what Jesus says here and reveals to us can hit home for us. Three things, the centrality of the word, the urgency of the word, and the comfort of the word. Three things, the centrality of the word. Uh, If we accept Jesus here, the inescapable conclusion is, I think, that you cannot know God in a saving way except through his word, the word of Jesus, the word of the gospel. You cannot contemplate your way to God. You cannot work your way to God. You cannot think your way to God. 
Um, in other places of the Bible, it's clear that we can know something about God from the creation around us, but only enough to condemn us, actually. Um, we can only know God in a saving way through his word. It's through hearing and believing what we hear that we cross over. Uh, I think this is hard sometimes to um, hear because it kind of cuts at our pride. It says that the most important thing about us isn't an achievement that we sort of work towards. Um, The most important thing about us is something we just receive, something that comes to us from outside of us. Uh, That's why... But that's why as a church we try to order everything around this word, this great gospel that has been infallibly once and for all given to us in the Bible. Uh, It's not because Christianity is for wordy people. It's because new life comes and only comes through hearing and believing this word of Jesus' death and resurrection. The word is central and because of that, secondly, the word is urgent. It's urgent. Life and death are at stake here. A day is fixed when everyone will honour the Son. The question is, will you honour him in fear as you receive condemnation? Or will you honour him with joy and peace and wonder as you receive the fullness of the life that is already yours through Jesus? That's the question. There's no third option presented here. The word is central, the word is urgent, but I think the the main kind of flavour of this passage uh, is actually what comes through as the the unspeakable comfort of the word. The wonderful reality here is that this word is a word of incredible comfort. If you've heard the urgency of this word, Right here and now, friends, if you've heard the urgency of this word and you know that you do not honour the Son, that you have not yet heard and believed this word, there is nothing, absolutely nothing to stop you from doing that right now. Nothing you've done in the past, nothing that you're struggling with today needs to stop you You don't need to perform an elaborate set of rituals. You don't need to fix your life up before you come to Jesus. Just hear and believe this word. Jesus died for your sin and rose again to give you life. Hear it. Realise that you can't do anything to fix your own life up before God. Your sin is too deep. Your brokenness is too great. Realise that, acknowledge it, and then hear the news that what you can't do yourself, God has done for you. Believe it. Let it settle in your heart and rest in it. If you do that, you will not be judged and you have already crossed over from death to life. There is such comfort in this word, but it's not, I'll finish with this, it's not just for those who are coming to trust in Jesus. There's incredible comfort for those of us who have heard and believed this word for a long time, actually. Uh, We get 
we get very good at adding things in. Being a Christian, being a Christian does, it does change your life. It must, it ought to, and it will, right? Uh, God works in us new desires, new habits. Uh, there'll be things that you need to change. There'll be sins that you're caught in the grip of that you work hard at. But there is a danger for us that we take the things that are the outworking of the gospel and put them in the centre. We take the things that are the, the outworking of the gospel in our life and put those things at the centre. So for me to really feel okay about my status with God, I have a long checklist. <laughs> I need to feel a certain way, right? I need to... I need to meet certain expectations, my own or the expectations of people around me. But that just falls back into thinking that we earn our way to God, right, through our works, and that never works. Um, We fall, we fail, we struggle with sin, we struggle with brokenness, whether through mental illness or past experiences. Many of us just can't always feel the way that we feel that we ought to feel (laughs) if, if we're really a Christian, Jesus doesn't say those who live a perfect life have crossed over. He doesn't say those who have a great feeling about me have crossed over. Knowing him will change us, friends. It will change us in concrete ways. I think that's what Jesus is actually getting at in verse 29 when he says those who believe in Jesus, uh, it talks about uh, those who have done what is right will be raised to life. I think that's what he's getting at. Those who believe in Jesus will have a changed life and God will see that in the judgment. It's not the good works are a basis of our salvation. They are the proof of it. Uh, And if we have no real change in our life over a long, long period of time, it is worth asking whether our faith is genuine. But, But we work at change here and now knowing that the ultimate change has already taken place. It's already taken place. If you've heard and believed the gospel, that's, the, that's it, that's the centre. You have already crossed over from death to life and there is a day coming when you will hear the voice of the Son of God and will live. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that we might honour your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the unspeakable comfort of this word, that simply through hearing and believing your wonderful life-giving word, you cause us to be born again, you give us new life. We praise you for the hope that that gives, not only for today, but for eternity Lord, give us a sense of the centrality of your word, this great proclamation that all people need to hear. Give us a sense for its urgency. But Lord, give us an increasing sense of its sweetness so that we might live as those who can rest in your grace for us and live lives that bring joyful witness to you. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've heard about the reality of God's judgment, um, but the great news of the gospel is that Jesus is our great high priest, whose name is love and ever bleeds for us. And our next song reminds us of that. 
Uh, after the song, uh, feel free to take a seat and the music will keep playing. That's just a chance to uh, reflect and fill out a blue communication card if you like.